0: This podcast is a production of Community Covenant Church in Eagle River, Alaska, a place where real people need a real God to live in a real world. For more information, check out our website at communitycovenant.net. This morning is from Matthew 26, verses 6 through 13. While Jesus was in Bethany in the home of a man known as Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, which he poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. When the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste? they asked. This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, Why are you bothering this woman? She's done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. I tell you the truth. Wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her.
1: Wow, I can tell that most of the pastors here are a lot taller than I am. (laughs) 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 I am Pastor Eric. I am the pastor of prayer and mission outreach here at Community Covenant Church, and obviously the shortest staff member as well. So, um,. I am, um, first of all, I want to say that I am really excited about the news from the uh, pastor search team, and I feel like, um, for a long time, I have. my husband and I arrived here nine years ago, um, my, he was in the Air Force as an active duty member, he is now a, uh, reservist, and working as a civilian in the military, but, um, There was a sense when we arrived here that God had this church on a trajectory. And I believe in the deepest part of who I am, that God does not abandon his will and where he takes his people. He is continuously faithful. And so I believe that right now, Although there are all kinds of questions and things that are going on, I do believe at the depth of my being that God is faithful and he has this church on a trajectory. And I am super excited about that. So, there, I get my little, you know, 30 seconds there. But, um, <laughs> so, I am really um, kind of recovering right now from uh, where I was a week ago. A week ago today, at 9.30 a.m., I was um, on the Chilkoot Trail. Who knows what the Chilkoot Trail is? Okay. Few of you know what the Chilkoot Trail is. Chilkoot Trail is a trail from Dyea, Alaska, to Lake Bennett, Canada, that was part of the Klondike Trail that the gold miners during the gold rush went on to try and get to the Klondike to be able to. Get rich, basically. It happened during a time of depression in the United States and thousands of people decided that they were gonna take off in the middle of winter and hike these mountains to be able to get rich. Well, obviously we didn't do it in the winter, we did it in the summer. I don't know that we were any wiser. <laughs> Especially because at nine thirty AM last week. I was literally hanging, soaking wet from head to toe off the side of a 45-degree mountain, thinking to myself and praying, more continuously probably than I ever have before, Oh God, please don't let me die here. I was faced with all of these thoughts of... Am I really going to die here, Lord? And then moving into that post of thinking, no, I'm not. And then as the exhaustion, and as I got more worn out, the thought was, well, would that really be that bad? <laughs> and the irony of that is that two days before, as... I was getting as we were getting ready to, to take the taxi cab to the trailhead which I think is just really funny but um, I called my husband you know kind of at the last minute hey you know I love you and you know we will be okay please tell me us," kind of thing <clears throat> he says to me are you sure you're not being stupid? <laughs> And immediately the thought that came to my head was, we're not being stupid, we're being intrepid. <laughs> Did I really know what that meant? No, I, it actually came out of my mouth. I said, I don't think we're being stupid, I think we're being intrepid. And he said, well, we know, the difference between being stupid and being intrepid is often the outcome. <laughs> so... I actually, just being who I am, I looked up the definitions. So the definition of fear of intrepid is fearless, daring, and bold. And for those of you Trekkies, yes, there is a, an entire intrepid class of Star Trek ships, so, you know, I'm giving a shout-out to you guys on that one. Um, stupid, on the other hand, is acting in an unintelligent or careless manner. At that point, I wasn't really sure whether or not we were being stupid or intrepid. And depending on where in the trip I wasn't sure if <laughs> we were being stupid and intrepid. Which kind of takes me now to where we are in our sermon series. We're looking at the wildness of Jesus, the unpredictable nature of Jesus. And in this particular story, in Matthew, <clears throat> we see something very. Um, Jesus' response is very unpredictable. One of the things I want to do is um, I do want to point out that that I chose this particular passage in Matthew, partly because I just really like Matthew um, of all the gospels. For whatever reason, it just resonates with my with my spirit. But um, you're going to find this story in two other places. You're going to find it in Mark 14, and it's very similar. You're also going to find something very similar in John 12. And in John 12, what's happening is that instead of it being dinner at the house of Simon the Leper, what you see is that Jesus is having dinner with his friend Lazarus. And the woman in the story is being identified as Mary. Now, most biblical scholars look at this and they say, you know, this is probably all the same story. Um, And oftentimes when people are talking about it, they get these things mixed up. But we're going to focus on this particular one in Matthew. And so what's going on here? First of all, I want to point out that one of the things that's happening here is that Jesus, a rabbi, a teacher, a holy man, is eating dinner at the house of a leper. Now that, in and of itself, was a really radical thing, because lepers were unclean. They were separated from everybody else. They were considered um, ones that you didn't want to have anything to do with. This leprosy is super uh, communicable. If you touch something that a leper touched, you are unclean automatically. So the fact that Jesus is been eating dinner at, at the house of Simon the leper is a huge deal. Second thing that's going on is that all of a sudden, you have a woman showing up to dinner and anointing Jesus. So not only does she break into this, to this party, she approaches him. You have the very wicked disciples who respond. They have this response to her. And then Jesus' response to both the disciples and the woman. So the first thing we're going to look at is the woman. I want to read this. It's really far away. Um, So let's look at verses 6 and 7. While Jesus was in Bethany, in the home of a man known as Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, which she had poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. Now, I mean, we read these passages, we read these stories all the time, but I would like for you to kind of get an idea of what was going on in this scene. This woman, this unnamed woman, is basically entering into the ultimate man cave. Okay, guys sitting around eating, reclining, talking about politics, talking about um, talking about religion. I mean, this is a place that was that was solely for men. Guys, imagine walking into a Sensi party. Okay. It would kind of be the equivalent. Someplace where she was clearly not welcome. Not only was she not invited, not only was she not one to be, um, to, to, to play this part, she was, was forbidden from being there. And what she does is she walks in. In this audacious way, I imagine that what it looked like was she just took her jar of the most precious thing that she had. And I can imagine, we've all been in these situations before where we feel like we need to do something. And your heart, you literally think, you feel like a cartoon character where you think if somebody looks at you sideways, they can see it going. to She's probably doing that. And she's got this most precious thing, but she knows. She is compelled by both love and, I believe, the Holy Spirit to walk into this place and to anoint Jesus. And this is a costly thing for her to do because not only is it she giving him is she offering him the the most precious thing that she has she's risking her reputation it's that kind of who do you think you are moment and as as I was praying about this as I was thinking about this honestly as I was laying on the floor yesterday going God I'm tired please tell me something the word that came to mind was audacious And I thought to myself, okay, what if I could think of an audacious act, what immediately would come to my head? And I don't know how, you know, kind of the general age of everybody, but the first picture that came to my mind was the man standing in front of the tanks in Tiananmen Square in Beijing, China in the early 90's do you guys remember that? the picture of that lone man standing up against honor that there was no right I mean they could just have run him over or shot him or done any number of things but he was standing in defiance bold fearless reckless audaciously saying no you will go no further. And when they'd move, he'd move. When they'd move, he'd move. Audacious. This woman's act was audacious. Brave. Fearless. And when they looked at her, reckless. So then you have disciples let's look at verses 8 and 9 now you've got to realize here that Jesus is walking back to Jerusalem in the previous verses at the beginning of this chapter he's actually reminded his disciples once again I am going to die this is where I'm headed Don't miss it, guys. This is what's going to happen. And so, the disciples who have heard this over and over again. Watch this woman come in. And let's look at verse 8. It says, When the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste? They asked. This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. You guys have got it, right? They've got it all figured out. Because what they're doing is they're doing what seems the right thing. The correct response. Look at this woman. Not only does she come in in this audacious, bold way, she does this thing, and what a total and complete waste. Do you know how many poor people we could have fed with that? Do you know how many shoes we could have bought? Do you know how many houses we could have built? They saw her as wasteful and foolish. Stupid. What a stupid thing to do with your money. With the most valuable thing you have. What a waste. They had in their mind what was the right thing to do with the most precious, valuable thing that she had. They had this, this, like, set of rules, right? This set of laws that they were functioning on that said that if you have something expensive, the best thing to do with it is what? What? turn around, sell it, and give the money away. They had righteous things in their head. But because of that temporal mindset, they missed the eternal thing that was happening in front of them. They missed the beauty of what she was doing. They missed the fact that she was acknowledging Jesus as king in a way that they had been unable to do. And so they were stuck in this place of what's the right thing. Really, in essence, and this hits at me, at the core of who I am, what's the practical thing? What's the practical thing to do with what I've got? What's the practical thing to do with the skills and the and the the money and the uh, abilities that I have? Well, the practical thing is dot dot dot. So, like I said, nine years ago, um, July first, my husband and I arrived here. Previously we had been stationed at Anderson Air Force Base in Guam. We'd been there for three years. And um, in some ways it had been a great assignment for us. In other ways, it had been not, not so good assignment for us. But during that time, our — it's a good way to put it — earning potential had skyrocketed. He was doing well um, as an officer. And I was teaching for the Department of Defense. When you put our two incomes together, man, we were doing really well. We could basically do whatever we wanted to with our money. But in the last year of of being in Guam, one of the things that God had started to do was really tug on my heart. And really kind of, not just tug in some ways, you ever feel like God just grabs you by the shoulders and just gives you a good shake? I had that spiritual kind of shaken baby syndrome, you know? And I knew that I needed to change things. But I wasn't even really sure what that meant or what that was going to look like. And so, in the back of my mind, what started to spin in my head was, I need to not work. Which for me, having been employed since I was 16 years old was a really hard thing for me to do. But, and I wrestled with it. I wrestled deeply with it. And I finally decided I was going to very sheepishly kind of, you know, you guys that are married or, in, or well, actually anybody in a relationship when you have to ask for something, do you know what this looks like? You know, that kind of that, where you put your toe out there. And you're like, let's see what happens. You know, if I put my finger out there and I test it, will I pull back a stump or what will happen? So I put it out there to my husband and I said, you know, I'm thinking. Maybe I shouldn't be working. My husband is a very gracious, very patient man. And those of you who know me would know that he would have to be being married to me. But um, he, uh, he basically said, Are you crazy? We're moving to like, the most expensive place in the world other than Hawaii, and you want to not work. And I thought to myself, oh, OK, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. OK, that's impractical. I have all these skills. I have all this experience. I'm super employable. And we can do really, really well. But I still felt this tugging. And so, I went back to him and again, and I, I alright, I admit it, I pulled the guard card. He did. I, I I really feel like God might be telling me that I shouldn't be working. And his response was something to the effect of, did God tell us we need to go in debt too? He was much gentler than that, but... And I said, well, okay. So I went back. And I still felt something inside of me and now i realize it was the, it was a prompting of the spirit and so one of the things that i had to do when we got here was in order to be able to teach in the anchorage school district or in alaska at all you had to get your teaching certificate you know, re, redone. It's like licensing. You know, those of you who are nurses or, you know, anything where you need a license certification, every time you go someplace else, the state requires you to do all of your business, right? So I secretly, as I filled out the paperwork, because I did agree to this, I said, okay, I'll fill it out, I'll send it in, we'll see. Well, my teaching certificate is in the state of Texas. And ironically, Texas and Alaska are one of the few states that do not have reciprocity with one another. Meaning that just because you have a certification in, one, in Texas does not mean you automatically get your certification in Alaska. And so I get this letter that says, well, we can give you a provisionary, but you're going to have to take all of these other courses. And I thought, that's my answer. Because it was going to take me a year and a half of school to get those back. To get all of that coursework done. And so I felt like it was God's answer to me. And so I took it to my husband. And I said, here. And he said, well, I guess there. There it is. And over the next five years... God completely and utterly we nude, reshaped, broke, rebuilt, undid, redid everything about me and my life. I took The practical thing, and it really would have—it was really practical for me to go back to work. It was really practical for me to do this thing. I had all of these skills that made so much sense financially. It was going to—we had no idea how we were going to do it—but I knew I needed to give that away because part of it was that I was even struggling with who am I if I don't work. I had to give that up. In essence, I had to lay that at the feet of Jesus and say, here, here it is. And his response echoes to me in this response that he gives, this un. Predictable, extravagant response that he gives to this woman. The first thing he says, and I love this, in verse 10, the very first thing he addresses is he says to the practical voices, to the righteous voices, why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. Instead of saying, what are you doing? Why did you waste that? He puts a shield up between her and the disciples and he says, stop it. The sacrifice that she is giving right now, the extravagance that she is showing me right now, is worth honor. Shut your mouth and leave her alone. And he references something in the book of Deuter- from the book of Deuteronomy when he says, "The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me." The realization, and I think sometimes we miss this, and you know what, as someone who has a heart for mission, as someone who has a heart for compassion, mercy, and justice, sometimes this is hard for me. But the realization that, you know what, in this world, until Jesus comes, we're not going to end world hunger. We're not going to have world peace. Until Christ comes, we will not have any of those things. And that is a harsh reality that we need to live in balance with. And there are times and there are places where the Lord says to us, Give me something that may seem impractical to you. And to all the voices and to all of the other righteous things that seem like the way to go. Let me have it. Let it be a beautiful thing. He points to the blindness that the disciples have. And I think sometimes those of us in the church are the blindest of all. just like the disciples who had walked with Jesus day in and day out for three years were the ones who missed it. And we look at people, and we look at me, and we look at their sacrifices, we look at what they're giving in their lives, we look at what they're doing in their lives, and we think, well, that's just stupid. Foolish. Why would you leave your job? A good paying job to go be a missionary someplace. Why would you sacrifice to get something that doesn't even make any sense? We're infused with this idea of what is right and what is practical, what is foolish. This woman appeared to be a fool to the disciples. But she saw something eternal. And Jesus knew it. The final piece, and this to me, just, I've got to say, this totally just rocks my world. Not only does Jesus shield her from the response of the disciples, not only does he honor what she's doing, he turns around and in verse 13 he says, I tell you the truth. Wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. her extravagant gift her extravagant sacrifice her audacious move was rewarded with an extravagant gift wherever my gospel is preached she will be remembered where else does Jesus tie in the act of another of a human being with the good news to me I look at it and I think he's saying to the disciples this is how much you've missed it guys this is the depth of the beauty of someone giving all that they have because they see who the truth of who I am which of course then I think we can't miss at this point the extravagant gift that we have been given in the cross of Jesus Christ. That all that we can offer Him, our righteousness with filthy rags. And in response to that, He gives us life. Eternal. Abundant. Transformed. We cannot ignore the fact that what we are being offered in the cross, in the sacrifice, in the resurrected life of Jesus is the most extravagant gift that we could ever imagine. And we can't even peg that. It's beyond winning the lotto, okay? It's beyond getting... Your wildest dreams. It is being reconciled with the God of the universe. It is finding grace and forgiveness and mercy and peace. This morning... I'm going to ask you to pray with me. And I'm going to ask you to open your heart to hear where it is that God desires you to be intrepid in your relationship with Him. Maybe that Intrepid move means you saying, Lord, I will give you my life. I believe you. I need you and I want you. And I will put aside all of the other voices. Where is it that you need to be audacious rather than practical? Pray with me. Jesus, you gave us more than we could ever have achieved on our own. You brought us back to the Father. You give us life. And Lord, there are many ways in which we are stuck in being practical. Practical. where we are fear being stupid rather than pushing into being intrepid followers of you fearless daring and bold this morning Lord I pray that you would help us to see that you would give us the courage to know and Lord give us the faith to believe that the extravagant gifts that we can give you do not equal but are met by you we pray this in Jesus name Amen